0: Welcome back to Eco Chic. My name is Laura Diaz. It is really great to have you here today. We have a really fabulous conversation, if I do say so myself. Lindsay McCormick is the CEO and founder of Bite. You may be immediately familiar with the Bite toothpaste bits that have gone viral many, many times. They're these really cool little tablets of toothpaste that you can use as an alternative to traditional toothpaste tubes. And Lindsay and I talk about the inception of Bite and why toothpaste and how the brand has expanded over time. I love conversations with entrepreneurs in general, but I feel like this conversation with Lindsay was especially special for me to listen in on because we talked about a lot of things that I'm just genuinely curious about. Like, what does it mean for a brand to go viral? How do you maintain that? What does it mean to go to Shark Tank? What does it mean to pitch investors or have to really encourage your stakeholders and the partners that you're working with to align with your mission so that you can keep doing the great business that you're doing. So today's conversation was really value packed with lessons. Lindsay was so transparent about challenges she faced and how the brand overcame them and how such a novel product, that being the toothpaste tablets, the toothpaste bits from Bite, how this novel product really influenced the way that we think about the personal care aisle. So, today's conversation is one that I've really wanted to have for a long time. Byte is a brand that I really admire. Byte does a lot of really, really cool consumer education and consumer advocacy. And while I feel like social media allows for a lot of brands to have a direct line to consumers, I haven't seen a lot of brands be as transparent, as invested in their consumers as Byte is. Because something that Lindsay and I speak about today, which I'm excited for y'all to listen into, ...is that for a brand, especially in the sustainability space, your consumer education and your work on the internet is not necessarily just to sell a product. There is a larger conversation that you're having with your consumers, there's an education component... And there is more of this like back and forth peer-to-peer relationship rather than purely a brand selling a product in a traditional market space. That being said, I think you'll really enjoy this conversation, especially if you're interested in entrepreneurship, if you're interested in sustainable brands or in the consumer market space. There is a lot of cool lessons learned and reflections that Lindsay and I are able to kind of deep dive into during today's conversation. I love chatting with her. It was a lot of fun. It was one that we were kind of just laughing back and forth and learning from one another. And I really, really appreciated her time to share her story and to share, again, some of those challenges and lessons learned. If you enjoyed today's episode, share it with a friend, share it on your Instagram story, and tag me at Podcast. All of my social links are down below if you ever want to get in touch. I am spending a lot of time on TikTok these days. I will also go ahead and put that Google form in the show notes that I mentioned in the last couple of episodes if you would like to get a sticker in the mail celebrating 200 episodes. Thank you so, so much for tuning in to today's conversation. I hope you enjoy it with Lindsay McCormick, CEO and founder of Byte. Lindsay, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks so much. (laughs) So good. Thanks for having me. Good. I'm excited to chat with you. I mentioned that I really admire Byte. It's a brand that I've really admired from afar. I've been a consumer of for a really long time. So I'm excited to chat with you. I feel like this is going to be fun. I'm really looking forward to it too. Could you set the scene for me a little bit on the personal side for you? What got you interested in oral hygiene, let's say?
1: Okay, so really good question. I wasn't necessarily interested in oral hygiene, but I've always been really passionate about sustainability. And so I had been living a lower waste lifestyle um, before I started Bite. I'm a long-time vegan, vegetarian, cruelty-free, like in all my cosmetics. And then I was traveling all the time for work. I was working as a TV producer and tossing out the little toothpaste tubes. And I had already gone through kind of my like travel kit and I was refilling my shampoo, my conditioner, my you know sunscreen, but I was throwing out the little toothpaste tubes every week after a shoot. And so I wanted something that I could put in my travel kit that I had to throw out after every single shoot. And I couldn't find anything that was on the market that made sense. Like there were some powders, but they were really messy. And then other toothpaste tablets, but they were packaged in plastic. I thought it was the most simple thing. I was like, I just want to find toothpaste that I can travel with a tablet that I don't have to throw out a plastic tube. And I couldn't find it. And so then I was like, well, it can't be that hard to make toothpaste. (laughs) And so I started figuring out, you know, what's toothpaste? How is it made? I started talking to dentists, dental hygienists. And then I was like, wait, this is really weird. Like, why do we put water in it? Why are we putting glycerin in it? You know, and how can I make it better? And so it was, um, it was definitely more of a sustainability angle than a toothpaste. But now I'm very interested in oral care. Like, I, I love it. I think it's fascinating, like the microbiome and everything, but definitely didn't start that way.
0: That's a really good workaround story of how you got involved with the product that ultimately you're still working on and so passionate about today. I have to say, I am fascinated by the fact that you were a TV producer before you became a founder of a product of a consumable brand. Tell me a little bit about that before we keep going.
1: Yeah, so I was working on the show House Hunters on HTTV. It's a show about there's a couple who's buying a house somewhere in the US. And so I would uh, go to all these different pockets all over the US. And so when you're there, you're only there for a few days, you want to travel carry on only. And the reason I had actually gotten into TV is that an unscripted uh, specifically was I wanted to eventually make nature documentaries, like my whole goal was conservation documentaries. So like BBC Earth, like Nat Geo, that was like my dream. But the way you work up to those things. Cause obviously, you know, it's, it's hard. A lot of people want to work on those. You cut your teeth and get your chops in reality. And so that's what I was doing. And I loved it. I loved working for the company I worked with. I loved my job, but that's how I found myself traveling all the time. And it's actually really interesting because being a TV producer is very helpful when it comes to being a founder, because so much is kind of taking this like amorphous idea and turning into something tangible, right. That you can watch like a TV show, like on budget, on time and like with a good attitude. And so being able to take kind of what I learned in TV and then apply it to bite has been unexpectedly really helpful.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I also feel like bite is a brand that really cares and invests in consumer education. There is so much around the advocacy work that you do that is beyond just promoting your projects and making sure that people are interested in the tablets and getting their subscriptions. So I'd love to talk a little bit about the education angle of the business. Why is that important and how do you go about that?
1: And Thank you for noticing. It's like the most important, you know, and kind of coming from my background in TV, especially because I wanted to work in documentaries, I understand the power of messaging and I understand the power of content and how it can really change people's minds. And so when you look at these, you know, eco-friendly products, I kind of call it like eco 1.2. Oh, which was back, you know, 10 years ago, everything was green and it was crunchy. It wasn't super user-friendly or really great. And then I feel like Eco 2.0 is kind of now where it's trendy and in a good way. Um, and it's user-friendly, and there's a lot of reason behind it and explaining why it matters. And I think it's because like we're a D2C brand, which means direct to consumer, you you purchase our product, mostly on the website. So we have this platform to be able to educate. So it's not only just why you should use a toothpaste tablet, it's also like why it, these ingredients matter and what we're doing beyond just our products as a company. You know, we're a B Corp, we donate, You know, we have give back programs. And so I think it is so important to be able to not only have a product that's better than what's out there, but then also be able to have people who are buying from you really understand why you're doing what you're doing. And from working in TV, honestly, it's all messaging as well. So it's trying to explain to people why they should care and watch the show. And now it's more just why you should care and support our company. I think, especially as we go into, you know, more products that are solving really important problems, education is such a big part of all of that.
0: Yeah, that's really admirable, especially when you link education to your products, that it's not so much about, encouraging folks to buy a particular product, but understanding the value of buying that product and what that dollar means and what that consumer choice means. What do you feel like is the most introductory, perhaps, lesson that you are teaching consumers when they are first thinking about making their personal care kits, their personal care products,
1: more sustainable? It can be so overwhelming. The advice that I give to my friends and family is start with one product that you use every day and switch out. Right. And I say that because I have toothpaste, we use it every day, you know, but even if you don't want to use bite, right. If you use sunscreen every day, there's companies that do eco-friendly sunscreens. If you want to change out your hand soap for bar soap, there's companies that now we have a bar soap as well, but even before that I would recommend, you know, so it's these high frequency items that you're using every single day that have high impact and low overhead for you. It's not something where you're trying to switch out every single piece of your routine, you know, uh, immediately, because that's, it's so hard to do or the things that you're not even using all that much. You know, one of the last things I switched out was my dry shampoo, because I don't use dry shampoo very often. So it not only did it take me a long time to go through what I had left, but it's not that high frequency item that's doing more damage to the planet and, and, you know, build up in our bodies. So I would say, look at something that you're using every single day, find that one swap. Once you get used to that and it feels easy and natural, then move on to the next one, another high high frequency.
0: I think that's a great tip because when people get interested in becoming more sustainable or living a more sustainable lifestyle, it does feel kind of intense at first that you have to switch over all these products or you realize that you've been making these choices for however long and you feel guilty about it. But then that in turn becomes really unsustainable because it's not a lifestyle you're used to. It's not products or brands that you're familiar with. And so encouraging that little like progress over time, as opposed to a big switch is really helpful when you're thinking about any phase of your life, I suppose.
1: Yeah. It's all the small, small habits. And there's even things that you can kind of link not to go too far out of it, but like there's really great books on it, like atomic habits. And I think those types of things where it's like, yes, it's a eco-friendly thing, but it's also a lifestyle change. It's, It's kind of folding these new things into your everyday routines.
0: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about the toothpaste tablets specifically because you didn't have a background in the oral hygiene space going into product development. So I'd love to talk about that initial phase where you said you were talking to dentists and dental hygienists and the research that you were doing and creating your own product. What was that initial inception phase like?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. The beginning kind of started out being you know, how would I make something that could be refillable? So it was, is it a tablet? Is it a ball? You know, what is this? What, what is this going to be? So then I was like, okay, it's going to be a tablet because that seems to be the easiest way. So now how do I make a powdered toothpaste? And so I spent time going online. You can actually take online chemistry classes on Reddit for free from like senior year of high school, all the way to PhD in organic chemistry. So I started taking some online chemistry classes, like at nights and weekends, like the open source, just to get an understanding of like how these things are going to interact with each other there's so much information online you can read dental patents which dental patents are incredibly helpful because a lot of them expired 50 years ago or whatever but what's really interesting about them is because they're trying to solve problems like it's a new problem you can see how what like what the best ingredients to Put in toothpaste are, right? So if you flip over the back of your average toothpaste tube, there's gonna be so much stuff in there that you'd be surprised. Like there were things where when I started looking into this, I was like, why are there dyes in my toothpaste? You know, like red dye, blue dye, like why are they there? There's all these different stabilizers. And so what I started doing was just Googling every single ingredient that was in the back of like the biggest toothpaste companies that I could find, figuring out what actually needed to be in there, what was in there as a stabilizer or preservative, and kind of just breaking everything down and then Figuring out how it all interacts with each other and then starting to kind of just get like the bare bones of what toothpaste needs to be to actually help your teeth
0: quick break to tell you about our sponsor today aspiration you've heard me talk about aspiration before i am really a user and i am really a fan because when it comes to saving the planet there's really no neutrality if you keep your money in most standard bank accounts They're lending your deposits out to fund oil and coal projects. I've talked before on the show about what it means to divest and the value of getting your money into a carbon friendly climate conscious bank and aspiration is the solution. You can switch to the planet side and get aspiration. Aspiration is a climate friendly alternative to the big banks. And you have the peace of mind of knowing that your money is never invested in something that just doesn't align with your values this is my favorite little tidbit moving one thousand dollars to an aspiration plus account has the same impact as driving six thousand less miles i really appreciate my aspiration account because as i mentioned i've talked a lot before about the value of divesting and i think a lot of us have this image that our money is sitting in a bank somewhere in a shopping center sitting in a savings account and frankly that's just not the case banks are using our money to invest in projects. And if I am so picky about the types of brands that I buy from and the types of other activities I like to put my money towards, why would I want my money going towards a fossil fuel project? Aspiration just seems like kind of a no-brainer for me. And best of all, there's no credit check, no overdraft fees, and with Aspiration, you just pay what you think is fair, even if that's zero, because money shouldn't stand in the way of you doing the right thing. Make your dollars make a difference. Open an Aspiration account at Aspiration.com slash tree and move your money out of fossil fuels. Help save the planet with your Aspiration debit card. Open your account at aspiration.com slash tree today. Aspiration.com slash tree, T-R-E-E. Terms and conditions apply. Aspiration is not a bank. Deposits are FDIC-insured up to $2 million per depositor.
1: And essentially what that needs to be, it needs to be an abrasive. But you don't want to be too abrasive but something that will help get plaque off and you know get food out of your teeth It needs to be an abrasive you probably want a foaming agent and you don't actually need that but people really want it so it's like okay you're going to want to have it there because you want it to be a marketable product uh we use a sulfate free uh, coconut based one and then you're going to want a flavoring because you need to get rid of bad breath And then I learned that actually zinc citrate, it was actually really interesting because I was looking at all these different mouthwashes and toothpaste and I was like, why is zinc citrate in all of these? And turns out it like bonds to malodor, bad breath. And so you put that in there so it helps get rid of the bad breath. Then you wanna have something that's actually like an active, quote unquote, whether if it's OTC or just something, you know, that's good for your teeth. And that's going to be either fluoride or a you nanohydroxyapatite. Know, and so that's kind of how it all started with just kind of figuring out what the building blocks are, what we actually need, what we actually don't, and then putting it together and then being like, I'm not a dentist. So let's talk to dentists and see what they say and dental hygienists. And it's actually really interesting. Sorry, I'm going on so much, but I get really passionate this about is it. So exciting. <laughs> I love watching you get excited about this because this is so, so interesting. Tell me more, tell me everything. Yeah. Well, it was funny because I actually ended up talking to a lot of dentists and dental hygienists. And I was like, you know, why is toothpaste this way? And what are these ingredients? And they were like, We've never even thought about this. Like, we don't know, you know, like they're like, just because they're in it, they're like, we, actually, it's a really good question. Like, why is there glycerin in there? And what's it, you know? And so then they started getting kind of interested as well. So then I was running my formula by them, and then they were like, oh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. But we, of course, did stuff to make sure it was safe, right? That's the big thing. Like, as, even when this was in my living room, I knew it was going to be me and my friends and family who were using it. So I don't want to trash our teeth. It needed to be something that was going to work. We did RDA testing, which is the relative dental abrasion. And so what that is, is basically every toothpaste, a commercial toothpaste, does this testing to see how abrasive it is. And you want it to be abrasive enough to get the plaque off, but not so abrasive that it starts messing with your enamel, right? And so these like high whitening toothpaste, a lot of times they're actually really hard on your enamel. And so we wanted to make sure that we weren't in that category at all. So we're considered a low abrasion toothpaste, but it is enough to get plaque off and just kind of making sure that we had for our fluoride, we follow the, you know, all rules and regulations for that. And then for nanohydroxyapatite, we worked with the company that produces it to make sure that we're putting enough in it for it to be effective. And so it was kind of like taking my questioning and knowledge and then working with the experts and then folding it all together together to make our tablets
0: wow okay that's really exciting and I'm going to ask you a question that you're more than welcome to shoot down but it seems like there's a lot of stakeholders now as you are developing this product and getting more people involved and working with partners did you have to sell the idea of a sustainable product of a toothpaste tablet to an investor
1: okay great question so Luckily, no, we're bootstrapped. So the only time I did was on Shark Tank. (laughs) Um, and So that was it. You know, I had started this with $6,000 in my savings account. Like I had bought in the tableting machine and all of the different ingredients and started just literally making it and selling it. And so it was from those profits. I would make it, sell it, then reinvest the profits. And so I've never had to raise, but I did have to... Honestly, like when it came to the dentists, a lot of them actually were fr- friends of mine from high school and college that I could run through everything because I didn't have any dental connections at the time. So it was my friends so I could hit up on Facebook. But then after we went viral and I had to stop making it in my living room and actually find a manufacturer. I had like hundreds of no's. Like I I had hundreds of no's because no one had made it before. It was a dry tablet. Like we're putting a foaming agent in there. Like these tablet companies are not usually making a foaming agent and it's like a personal care thing. And so I had to like beg these manufacturers to work with me. And then I finally found one in California who would, but it was like hundreds of no's and it was a weird product and it took a long time to figure out how to do that.
0: Wow. Thank you for being so transparent. Yeah. My thought was with such a novel product, I'm not going to call it weird because it's brilliant, but with such a novel product, there, I'm sure, was some skepticism in the early days when you're trying to scale and when you're trying to, again, move out of your living room. Mm -hmm. So you have this audience backing. And then if you've invested yourself, you've got this proof of concept, but then going that next level to scale is really intimidating, I have to imagine. What do you think was the most challenging part of Scaling, like when you moved out of your living room and you have a full facility behind you, what was your next challenge?
1: Uh, dealing with glass is very complicated because when you're making tablets, they're putting it in plastic jars or plastic bottles. So you throw like thousands of bottles in a scrambler, it's called a scrambler and it just shoots them out on a conveyor belt. Right. But you can't do that with glass. But even with aluminum, you can put a few hundred, right. And it's fine glass. You have to have a person there putting it on. We're made in Southern California. It's very expensive. So, you know, there are different things that were these kind of weird gotchas that we had to kind of navigate and figure out even something as simple as, as paper tape, even when we had a manufacturer making our tablets and putting it in glass bottles, I was still shipping them out. Like I was, I would like have USPS come pick it up and like, I would have it all packed out. And so it was like a thing. And so I was like, okay, I need to stop doing this. I need to, it's called a 3PL or a fulfillment center uh, for anyone who's interested in this type of stuff. And they all at the time in 2018 defaulted to plastic tape. And I was like, I'm not doing all this work for you to then like, you know, cover my box in plastic tape. And so um, I was really stuck on finding one that had paper tape and it took a really, really long time to find a partner who would commit to paper tape. And then it's, it's funny because they actually bought the paper tape machines for our company. But then when that happened, I started talking to other eco-friendly founders and telling them, that, you know, this 3PLN specifically would work with paper tape. So then they started going there and then they ended up having more paper tape stations and then a bunch of eco-friendly companies that went there because, you know, we're kind of all smaller, the same size. So those types of things um, really, although it was a challenge, it felt like a really big win uh, because it was like, okay, now we finally have a home that we can start shipping out of that we could trust.
0: I love that. And I love that you were able to bring other sustainable brands to this facility. That seems like such a nice kind of community oriented way to go about the sustainable product space. And it's just really nice to hear directly from someone who
1: is working to change it. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's, um, it's really important. I feel like all the small, like all of our brands, I say small, but you know, it's a range, but we're all working to solve the same important problems. I've been able to meet some really amazing people and uh, it's a really great network.
0: Oh, that's so nice to hear. That's really wholesome. And just, it's, it's nice to hear as a consumer that all of these brands see the value and the giant network and the bigger community that they're building. And on the topic of community, we were talking about scale and kind of moving out of your living room, moving to a facility. I'd like to talk a little bit about this virality, this moment where you had all eyes on you and you're getting all of this online consumer attention. What do you think was the biggest lesson from growing so quickly and getting so much attention so fast?
1: Wow. That's a good question. What was the biggest lesson? I think... It was ruthless prioritization at that point because it kind of felt like it was suddenly, everything was taking off and there was so much coming at us at all times. It was kind of like all hands on deck, like duct taping things together. Like my mom literally flew out from Virginia and we rented an Airbnb and we're like packing things in this house because we were like, we need, you know, like all hands on deck situation. So I think it was, you know, being able to be super adaptable it's kind of a flywheel, right? And so these things happen still now where we'll have a video go viral, On TikTok, you know and we'll then see lift across the company and so i think that even though you know back in 2018 the the winner of the game when it came to virality was definitely facebook um but there is still so many other ways that you can kind of rise all tides and i definitely think that video is incredibly powerful and we still see that with us but i would say that once you have that one opportunity you know, you get really lucky and then you need to get good and it needs to happen fast, you know? And so I think it could have been something where we got lucky and then we just kind of spun out, but it's like, we got lucky and then we tried really hard to get better, you know, better, faster is like my motto. So get better, faster, and then try to get lucky again and then get better faster. And so, yeah, that's kind of what what we do.
0: That's a good motto, and that's a really good lesson to learn because it's not necessarily a challenge that you have to overcome. This is an opportunity for you to say, again, I've got this opportunity, all eyes on me. What can I do with this? And it's really powerful to be able to pivot so quickly, I'm sure, as a business owner. And that also seems like a good lesson when you're thinking about other products. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, How do you continue to build off of the success of the toothpaste tablet?
1: So I think something that's been built in us from day one. And I think it's because I started in my living room and it was like my family and my friends and every single thing. And then it was the first time I remember like the first name that I didn't recognize, right. That came through on an order and just having this really, really close relationship with our customer. And that's something that has been super important to me on Fridays, almost every Friday, unless I'm traveling, um, I spend an hour talking to our customers. Like we, I line up calls, I chat with them. I find out what's important in their life. What do they think of bite? It's so important to me that I have a really solid understanding because like I am the customer too. You know, I made this for myself because I couldn't find it, but making sure that I really stay in touch with them is just base level at bite. And so that's been something that's been really helpful when it comes to all of our new products. So it was through talking with them that we made whitening gel. Everyone just kept on asking for it. And, it, and it's one of our best-selling products, you know? And so it's like, those are the types of things where it's like our customers ask for it, we figure out how to do it. Deodorant, I don't know if you've used the eco-friendly deodorant, but they were like,
0: I was yeah. gonna say the deodorant is my personal favorite bite
1: product if I may say. Thank you, thanks. And well, And that's like, that came out of my own frustration. I was using, you know, the cardboard tubes and you have to stick one finger up and like, you can't get it. And, and, you know, it just like, it would get super, like the cardboard would be really gummy and I couldn't get the lid back on. And, you know, I'm traveling all the time for work. Why hasn't someone fixed this? You know, this is ridiculous. And so I started talking to our customers, and they're like, "Yeah, I mean, we didn't even think about it, but that sucks." You know, and. And some people were using the cream, but then they were like, we don't really, we don't love that either. And so I was like, we're all annoyed by the situation, but there's no one fixing it. And so that was the beginning of trying to figure out like, how would we fix it? Like, how would we? And so that's when we have our compostable paper refills that go in this really beautiful, like sleek metal tin. It was just trying to kind of apply common sense of something that was bothering all of us and then being able to make it. And that's kind of what we do as well from talking to our customers. They were all using different brands of bar soap. And I was like, wait, like." why, you know, that was one thing where I would talk to all of our customers and I'd be like, what kind of bar soap? And it was, it was different. They were all using different ones. And I was like, okay, you know, there's a real opportunity for us to make something that's in line with our values, palm oil free, you know, uh, clean ingredients and, and then also have a give back program. And so, you know, that's exactly how that happened with the carbon capture cleanser. And I think that if there's one superpower at Bite well, two superpowers. I would say like innovation and then like customer obsession. And yeah, that's how we came up with the innovation.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. What my favorite thing about the deodorant is actually the size. I love that. It's not as large as the other deodorants. I may have to buy at a drugstore because it's again, good for travel, like you mentioned. And it also gives me the opportunity to try different scents. I'm not committed to something for six months at a time. Like I like the frequency that I can refill
1: my products when I'm using a refillable product. Yeah. Thank you. And what's crazy too, is that ounce per ounce, it's almost similar. It's so much more compact because you don't have the huge, the, uh, the coil. I know exactly like what you're elevator. talking about. Yeah. yeah. It, that thing takes up half the, um, the container for Dio. It's really interesting. I, it, when you start questioning why we do what we do as people, like when you look at like the personal care, I you're like, why is like half of that plastic deodorant thing, air, you know, to hold the elevator to push it up. It's just, it's a, it's bizarre. And there's a lot of room for innovation. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. I love that. I talk a lot with people about just conscious consumerism, questioning your choices, thinking really critically about these purchases. But when you look at the personal care aisle at a drugstore, at a big box store, a target, a Walmart, whatever it may be, These are brands that have been there for so long that it's really easy for people to not question this purchase because it's what they're used to. But then when you start realizing things like all of these toothpastes have these ingredients that they don't need to have, or again, the deodorant has half of its tube is actually full of air because it has the twisty thing inside of it. It allows you to realize that these products that you're comfortable with are not necessarily the best for whatever your Goals are be that environmental or even saving money. It seems really silly to buy a whole thing of plastic tubing that is actually half empty. So even thinking critically about the choices that you may not think very much about is a really powerful consumer choice
1: too. I love that. Yeah,
0: that's really well really well said. I I do what I can. I was thinking of those um, the jokes that people always make about like chip bags that you open a chip bag and it's half full of air. That's what consumer products sound like. Personal products. Yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. (laughs) That's a personal product. Tell me a little bit about the cleanser you mentioned, the carbon capture cleanser, because I must say that that sounds like a really exciting name and it also sounds like a big claim.
1: Yes love it okay so the basics of it that we can just go in because then we'll get into the science of it is it's scented with our neroli fragrance which is my favorite i think i was a little biased we might come out with the other scents like later on down the road but i'm just obsessed with our neroli so it's like i feel like that's a great like anytime scent and it's made with shea butter so what we put is we put kelp in it and so kelp is amazing it captures 20 times more co2 than trees but it doesn't need any pesticides fresh water or land use to grow, right? And so there are all of these really cool initiatives that are going on. And when you say blue carbon, it can either be talking about algae or kelp, but there's basically all these really amazing initiatives that are going on, but it's really hard for these nonprofits and small businesses to get a foothold because it is so expensive for them to switch over to this kelp farming. So. When you're a lobster fisherman off the coast of Maine and you know climate change is affecting your lobster business, a great thing that you could do would be starting to grow kelp. And so what that does is that not only does that help like you know the ecosystem there, but it also captures carbon. Kelp is a carbon capturing technology. It's really weird to call a plant technology, but it is. And so some of the initiatives are and it's really new, right? So some of the initiatives are actually having these forests of kelp be grown and then sinking them, like sinking, like cutting the kelp and then sinking it at the bottom of the ocean. If you look up in a bunch of that research, it's new. It makes sense. In sustainability, there's no silver bullets. I'm sure you've seen our like blog posts. The way I, I phrase it is like there's like the tweet, the Instagram caption, and the blog post. And the blog post is where we get really in the weeds for anybody who cares about it. The Instagram caption is kind of like, if you're interested, like, here's why we did what we did. And then the tweet is like the high level, this is the we do things. So if we're kind of going from down the level from tweet to Instagram caption to blog post. So when we get into any of our blog posts, whether it's the oil bristles, PLA floss, there are no silver bullets. There's no easy answers. So it's not the most perfect thing, but it's really freaking good. And because of the fact that we don't have to use landmass, fertilizer, pesticides, any of that to grow this, and it does capture it. Yeah, we're going to cut it, right? And when you cut something, it releases the carbon back if it's used, right? So the, one of the ideas is you take it and you bury it at the bottom of the ocean. And then the car- its it's literally called a carbon sink. Those are the programs that we are donating to. There's also programs that we'll be donating to where it's lobster fishermen who are changing over their industry. So instead of fishing for lobster, they're now creating kelp that we use in our bars. And so we haven't been able to partner with them yet because they're all very small, but like they will only be able to do these things and survive if brands like ours help, right? Another brand that I think is actually pretty great is Sweet Green. had a really big initiative with this, um, with their kelp. I believe they had it in a bowl, but it's the idea that first growing kelp as a carbon, blue carbon initiative, sinking into the bottom of the ocean, but then also figuring out what can we change, like whether it's lobster fishermen or fisheries and get them to grow kelp. Because then that's really helpful as well. And then also the fact I didn't even bring up the fact that kelp is really amazing for your skin. It's like antioxidant. It's you know, there's other companies that, you know, talk about how it's like anti-aging. I did it for the sustainable initiative, but it's also a really amazing ingredient to have in it. So that's the long story <laughs> to why we've done this.
0: <laughs> Thank you so, so much for that background. I really didn't know that much about kelp. I'm familiar with carbon sinks, I'm familiar with <laughs> these kind of beauty claims that they make around kelp, but I didn't connect all the dots. So thank you so much for breaking that down.
1: Yeah, no, no problem. So I had no idea about it either. This is the way it started. I was like, I want to do a cleanser because I feel like there's a lot of room for us to do it right in space. Like, first of all, most cleansers have palm oil in it. And like one of our big things is palm oil free. I cannot tell you how hard it is to be palm oil free as a bar soap.
0: I was going to say that sounds nearly impossible in the personal care space to be palm oil free. So kudos to you.
1: That's a huge, huge accomplishment. Thank you. Thank. And so that was like the beginning of being like, how do we do it? Then it was like, we'd never done a forever give back program. I would love to be able to support. I know we're already plastic free. That's a huge initiative for us. So we could, of course, we could do something with plastic, but I was like, I feel like there's got to be something that we can do that shines light on something again, kind of using our using something that we're really good at, which is breaking a complex thing down and making it digestible. And so when I started looking into blue carbon and the fact that we could put kelp in here and that it's kelp is a great, you know, buzzy ingredient and it can do good. I was just like, this is like exactly what we need to do. Like, this is what we're going to give back to. I think that, you know, when it comes to Carbon—it's something that we haven't been able to really talk about as a brand, and this also allows us now allows us—I'm saying with air quotes—but you know, we've always had the plastic conversation, but now it really makes sense for us to start talking about climate change and you know, carbon initiatives. And I think that that was really important to me from a brand education standpoint as well.
0: Yeah, that is a huge leap for a brand and for consumer education to go from sustainability to climate change, because even though A lot of consumers may be passionate or aware even of green products, quote unquote. I think we're having the conversation more and more about greenwashing and people are becoming more aware of buzzy terms. But going from just the purchases you make day to day as a consumer and linking that back to climate change is really intimidating. And I think that one of the most challenging things about climate education is allowing people the space to understand the gravity of the situation Because when you go in talking about climate change, it's so easy to get into this loophole of grief and doom and there's nothing we can do, et cetera, et cetera. And then when you're a brand that's like, you know, we don't have all the solutions, but here's a really cool piece of scientific information around kelp, around carbon sinks, and we're going to take that and we will give you a way to participate in that in some way. And so this is a direct path for consumers to feel like they can actually contribute to the conversation.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was that was like what I was so excited about. <laughs> it's exciting, too, because even being able to mention Sweet Green, like I don't, we don't have a relationship, I don't know them, but being able to see other brands that are even way bigger than ours, having that, like being a small business understanding, like how breaking down like the blog post, the Instagram caption, the tweet, you know, kind of just seeing that hierarchy and then using, you know, your platform to, to educate. I just think it's, it's just really exciting. And I think that it's going to hopefully, you know, not just us, but all of the other brands that are really trying to create that change. It's momentum in the right direction.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely exciting. And I also feel like, I don't want to use the word romantic, but there's something kind of romantic about working with ultra small fishermen, companies and encouraging them to switch over to this particular kind of farming and this new opportunity for them economically and there's this kind of like grassroots element to the work that you're doing that's really exciting and again there's something kind of romantic about it it's exciting to see people connecting online there's it's exciting to see brands connecting with farmers and with fishermen and like you were mentioning all these other brands getting together small brands for the paper tape uh, facility that you were mentioning earlier, again, it's a very wholesome way to think
1: about sustainable business. I agree. I think that's my favorite part. It's because it's the people who are working in those industries. They're just like the most amazing people to work with a lot of the times. And so I think that's been something that's been really, really amazing. I never thought when I was building Byte that one of my favorite things would be, A, interacting with our customers and like learning from them, but then meeting other founders and other people like you too. Like when you're trying to use your platform or your business for good, it's just like a really nice way to start like the foundation of a friendship or relationship or working relationship. It's just nice.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I have to imagine that the community is probably the best part of being a small business owner.
1: Yeah, totally.
0: Wonderful. To wrap us up, I'm curious to know, do you have any areas in the personal care aisle you feel like really need a
1: rebrand, really need a facelift? Oh my gosh. there are so many. I mean, there are some, so you wear glasses. I used to wear glasses. Actually, I wear contacts and I got LASIK a few years ago, but I just remember the contact solution, which I don't know how anybody would. I don't know. I don't know. Like, but like, what a cool thing if someone could innovate on that. And especially now that more people have switched to dailies, I feel like there is a lot that could be innovated there, but also like, that's a medical thing. So it's like, I don't consider medical waste. Like you have to do what you have. Like when I was using, it, I was like, I just have to, but it would be really cool. Cause I, I got LASIK after I started bite. And I just remember being like, man, I would love to be able to fix this. And then I think there's so much to fix in hair care. Like there are some good shampoo bars and conditioner bars out there, but I feel like when it comes to hairspray and dry shampoo and, you know, color services, there's so much that I feel like can be done and that it's like an option. It's not like a contact solution situation, you know? And so it's a space that I feel like needs a lot of innovation that I know nothing to very little about. (laughs) So.
0: Yeah, that's a good one. I have thoughts on both of those. I wear daily contacts every once in a while. I'm pretty 50-50 these days between my glasses and my contacts, but I only wear one contact. I don't know if I've ever said that before, but I have, yeah, I only have one contact lens. Anyway, it doesn't really matter why I wear contacts. But the challenge with the dailies is, of course, I have this little like pang of guilt whenever I'm throwing away that plastic container. But at the same time, that's one of the opportunities for me to be like, I'm giving myself grace to move on with this. 100%. Because I also know that I'm not someone who's going to be keeping up with my two week contacts and the bacteria and the maintenance. And like, I don't wear contacts frequently enough to justify it. So that to me is like, I'm not even thinking about my contacts, but hair care, you're totally right about because hair care is a tricky one from the vegan cruelty-free perspective. There's a lot of chemicals in hairsprays in hair dyes and shampoos. Again, like you mentioned, there's a lot of great shampoo bars out there. But the challenge with a lot of hair products is that they have a lot of stabilizers and preservatives, and you can't always do that with a totally clean, natural, quote unquote, whatever product it may be. So you end up losing efficacy in products where you can't include some of those chemical ingredients. Mm -hmm. And I've heard this from hairstylists, too, because I'm always really curious and I always like to pick people's brains about sustainable products and cruelty free products. But there seems to be this middle ground where, even looping back to our conversation earlier, you were talking about all the ingredients that go into a product. There's this middle ground between sticking to your sustainability values and your values around being cruelty free, palm oil free, whatever it may be. And then also making sure the product works. Yep. That's
1: a major draw. Yep. I mean, we've all used like a shampoo bar or even a bottled shampoo that was like sulfate free, like whatever free. And you're just like, wait, the back of my head is still so dirty. Like, you know, and you're blow drying it. You're like, how is this a thing? You know, or even air drying it. So exactly. That's exactly. It's tough. It's tough. And I have found some really good, clean formulations, but a lot of times also I find that I need to switch out. Like I can use it and then I need to switch. And so then it's kind of like, it's this hunt all the time, you know, and a lot of the the ones are small businesses. So they, you know, sometimes have Like, especially last year, I feel like the shampoo bar that I loved was having stock issues, you know, and you're kind of like, oh, it's an interesting nut to crack, but I feel like whoever can do it, if they can. And then there's so many different kinds of kinds of hair that, you know, there's wavy hair, straight hair, curly hair. So I feel like it's a, it's a mountain, that's for sure but it'd be cool. To
0: yeah. Yeah. Good luck to uh, the hair care people because stick with oral care, yeah. sure. you're doing yeah. a great job. Thank mm-hmm. you, Lindsay, so much for hanging out with me today and for sharing so much really cool information. I loved learning about bite, but I also loved learning about all of these great tangential things that you've had to research and become an expert on to create such a great brand. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me, Laura. This was so fun. Thanks so much for tuning in to our conversation today with Lindsay McCormick, founder and CEO of Byte. I really, really enjoyed this episode. I hope you learned a little something. I hope you gained some insights on entrepreneurship and sustainable business practices. If you did, go ahead, share it on your Instagram story, send it to a friend. You already know I was going to say that because it just helps me out so, so much. If you just send it to one single person, you can get in touch with me. All of my social links are down below. My email is down below. And if you've stuck around this long, just double check that you are subscribed wherever you're listening to this episode, Spotify, iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this podcast. I'm sure you're already subscribed, but it's so nice to just double check, don't you think? Thank you again so, so much for hanging out with me. It's been really fun and I can't wait to see you next week. Have a good one.